Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Unbothered by Ty Rivera. Today, we're on location in Portland, Oregon. I think it's technically Gresham, Oregon, which is right near Portland. And uh, we're staying at the Travelodge, which has been cool enough to allow me to have my Bijou and Jerry here in the room with me. So, unfortunately, we're not coming to you from Casa de Bijou today. And a lot of people ask me why I call it Casa de Bijou. And that's because I've always said that my apartment is Bijou's house. When I was uh, first coming back to L.A. after my engagement, um, I decided that... Get down, you guys. Get down. Go to your beds. Bed. Go to your bed. Now. Sorry you guys had to deal with that. I'm probably not going to edit it out, though. I might consider it, but probably not. Y'all need to know that these dogs need to be in check. Yes, it is Casa de Bijou, and yes, this is Bijou's Momo that we're staying in right now. But that doesn't mean they're just going to run me like that. It's not the way my life works. Yes, I love my little dogs, but no, they do not run shit all the time. Anyway, what I was trying to get at was back when I was first coming back to L.A. after my engagement, uh, because I had decided to move to Phoenix for a short while, I um, was staying with some friends, and they were cool to have me stay on their couch, and they allowed Bijou to stay there as well, which was very nice of them. But Bijou likes to secure the perimeter all day, and they have their own dog that secures the perimeter, and Bijou wasn't able to get around as much as she wanted to because the other dog obviously is going to be watching out for her own house. So I decided that it was better if me and Bijou just got our own place at that point. They were fine to have me stay on their couch for as long as I wanted. And to tell you the truth, I was comfortable. It's not like I was not comfortable there. I was enjoying my time and my friends are really cool. And it was a good situation, but... After a while, you just get like, I think we stayed there for maybe a week and a half. Uh, and the second part was only because we had to wait to get approved, get, wait to get approved for the apartment that we were going to be moving into, which the, is the apartment we live in now. And that apartment I only got because of Bijou. So I call it Casa de Bijou. And Bijou is kind of my little time clock. She keeps me in check in a lot of ways. She lets me know when it's time to go to sleep. She lets me know when I've been awake for too long. She lets me know when it's time for us to get food. Bijou is in charge of a lot of things around here. Just when I've got to do unbothered, I've got to be unbothered. And sometimes these little dogs bother me because they make it a point to be underneath me or they want me to pet them. And I'm fine with that for most of the time. That's why I've taken them everywhere in the last month. I don't know if you guys know how much we've traveled in the last month, but we've gone to Salt Lake City together. We've gone to Tucson together. We were in San Diego where we were at the La Jolla Comedy Store, which was a great experience. And we also were are now in... Portland and then the only time I've been away from them was when I left them for a night with Chris Rubio over in when we had to go to Vegas but that was because I was doing three shows in Vegas which turned out to be bam 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 I had to run and do all three shows 
And I knew that my dogs weren't going to be able to get walked like they needed to or get the attention that they needed. And I didn't want to try to figure that out. Or I, I'm very careful not to abuse my dogs. Even this trip, I've decided that they're not coming back to Oregon, Washington area with me again because it's too on and off rainy around here and they hate the rain like we just got in from our walk and it started to sprinkle on our way back so it wasn't that big of a deal but at the same time I know that they hate it and then every time we come back I have to dry their little paws because there's a lot of mud outside and I don't want to leave stains on the bed and I pretty much don't usually tell them to get off the bed unless I'm trying to watch something or work on something and even a lot of that time they'll just lay by my legs or whatever. So I, I let them at that point be on the bed with me too. But um, because I don't want to leave like, you know, little puppy paw prints everywhere, I make sure to dry their paws every time we get in. Yesterday, um, though, I forget how long it is to drive to Portland. And I've done it several times in my life, but I forget that it takes like 14 hours to get here from LA and I really messed up the other night. I'm going to tell you guys about a situation that happened. We also were in Fresno uh, over the weekend. We were in Fresno or Visalia and uh, Clovis technically was where we were performing. Uh, Friday was in Visalia and then Saturday was in Clovis. And if I had been smart, if I had been thinking since that's about four hours away from LA, four hours pretty much north, I would have packed all our stuff and then we would have stayed in the bay, probably at Chris Doran's house for a night on Sunday and then finished the 10 hours on Monday. But I'm a dumbass, so I didn't pack all of our stuff and then I realized that we had to be in Oregon and we decided to... I decided to go back and get our stuff on Monday. I went to the gym on Monday, then went ahead and got our stuff and then had to drive 14 hours to be here by Tuesday. So last night was my first show of this run and we were at a place called Boss Hogs, which is was really fun last year when I did it. And it was really fun this time too. But there was a situation where there was a girl that kept trying to snapchat me and I knew she was either trying to snapchat or like do a Instagram clip because she would hold her phone up for a second and kind of hidden or whatever trying to be hidden but I could see her and I allowed her to do it for like four times before on the fifth time I was like please stop because I was in the middle of a joke and the way that it was going was there was this table that unbeknownst to me turned out to be a lesbian table, but there was this table of women that uh, was being really loud during the show, and everybody else in the bar is enjoying the show, but this table of four women just was trying to act like there wasn't a show going on, and they were being really loud and kind of obnoxious, because here's the deal. I get not everybody realizes all the time that there's a comedy show show going on. So I fully get that. I fully understand it. And I fully respect it. But at the same time, if you walk into a place and there's a show that you don't want to be, Bijou, get down. Go to your bed. God damn it. 
If there's a show that you don't want to be a part of, if you don't want to watch, and you're trying to have a conversation with your friends, I have no problem with that. But that needs to be taken somewhere else. If I were to walk into a show and I knew, or walk into a place that was like my regular pub or whatever, and I noticed that there was a show that was about to go on, I'd be like, oh, okay, this isn't for me. I'm not in the mood for a show. I'm going to go ahead and get out of there. I wouldn't sit there and pretend there wasn't a show going on and just start talking out loud with my friends, especially when everybody else is in the bar is enjoying the show. So that was happening, and the girl that was recording me, she, I knew she worked for the bar because right before the show, she was trying to figure out um, the lights and that kind of situation. So I knew that she worked for the bar and I figured that she worked since she worked for the bar, it's like, okay, I'll let you get a couple snaps or whatever. But after a while, I don't know if you're posting these snaps or I don't know if the snaps didn't come out the way you wanted them to. So you're going to shoot another one. I don't know what's going on. All I know is I'm trying to work through the disruption that's happening because Usually I would address the situation with the women at the table that were talking really loud, but I looked to the back of the room and I saw that the booker was getting ready to handle that. Like he looked over, he noticed it, he said something to the server then uh, or the cocktail waitress and she walked over to that table and at that point I felt like it's better if I just stay out of it. Let them handle it however they want to handle it. Technically it is their crowd, it is their bar, it is their audience. So, you know, let them deal with that since they're obviously willing to deal with it. One last thing for me to do, it's best if I just keep doing what I'm doing with the show and let that play out however it plays out. This is my thinking during that. But then when I've got this girl over here that's And I don't know, like the thing that I don't like, what people don't get about when you record at a comedy show is there are a couple reasons that performers don't, stand-up comics, I won't say performers in general, because maybe musicians are fine with it, I'm not sure. I hang out with a few musicians, I guess, or I've known a few musicians in my time from doing the open mics and stuff like that. Sometimes they're mixed open mics, but I've never really talked to them about this. But I know with a lot of comics, there are different reasons that we don't like being recorded. Like me personally, I'll tell you that the main problem I have with people recording me, especially with what I do, because I do a lot of edgy material and I fully acknowledge that what I do is edgy. A lot of times when people will cut off your joke or when Snapchat, just because the 60 seconds is up, will cut off your joke, they don't get the punchline. So if all you have is the setup to the bit, sometimes that setup will sound either racist, transphobic, homophobic, problematic, let's say, and then that's all that gets posted without the punchline, and then it really doesn't make sense, and it makes me seem a way that I'm not or like I'm saying something that I'm not. So it's not a good representation of what it is I'm doing or what it is I do, and it doesn't come off as necessarily funny sometimes. That's something I've actually had happen. It's something I've dealt with, and I just try to make sure that it doesn't happen. So that's one reason that I don't really like recording people recording me. The second thing is sometimes I'm in a rush. Sometimes I didn't have time to get all the way ready. Sometimes, to be honest and vain, I don't like the way my hair looks on that day. So I don't really feel like having anything posted. So there's that reason. 
Then there's also that a lot of the bits that I'm doing, especially right now, because if you've seen me and then you've also heard the album or you've heard me back in the day, you'd know that if you come out to a show, there is a lot of stuff that is new. There's a lot of stuff that I'm still working out. And when I say new, yeah, some of this stuff I may have been working on for like the last six months or even the last year, but it's still evolving and I'm still not sure exactly where I'm going with some of these ideas. Like I've said before that the deal with the trans material is I want it to all get to a part, a place where it actually paints what my real feelings are on LGBT and the trans community and the way that I really want it to come across is where people understand that I'm fully supportive of people from my community, but at the same time, there are certain things that I can't just go along with. Now, you would think that that's easy enough to say because I just said it right now, but it's not as easy to do when you're making everything a joke because the last thing I want to do is be one of those comics that's just a series of popular statements. And yeah, they get applause breaks, but people aren't laughing. Or people, that's where you run into the problem. Sometimes people, I notice a lot of newer comics, they will have audience members get mad at them because they come off preachy. And so that's what will piss an audience member off. If audience members feel like you're telling them how to think or telling them what to do and not making them laugh, then a lot of times that's where you'll get these blow-ups. Like there's one comic that I got into it with not too long ago, and I just say that just being full disclosure and letting you guys know where I'm at with this comic. But um, there's one comic that I got into it with a while back, and it was like he's always trying, because he's very anti-Trump, which doesn't bother me at all, especially as a comic. Like if you can make that funny, then make it funny and do it 100%. I don't tell anybody what to do with their material, even if their opinion is completely opposite of mine. Doesn't bother me at all. Just make me laugh. That's all I ask. And his stuff is not funny. His stuff about Trump. Like technically he's funny enough, but his stuff about Trump specifically is very preachy and it's very, this is the way you need to think about it and this is what we need to do. And yeah, if you're in an audience full of people, like-minded people, then that's going to work out great. But a lot of times what we deal with, especially on the road, are mixed audiences, audiences that don't necessarily all feel the way you feel. Like a lot of people assume because I perform in a lot of what would be considered Trump's America that people are just going to go with me on everything I say. And that's not necessarily the case. Technically, a lot of people don't agree with certain parts of my set, uh, but at the same time, they're willing to accept it just because they get a laugh at the end because I give them actual punchlines. And that's something I try to stay very aware of. Now, when I'm working stuff out, every once in a while there's parts where just because of the way that I work things out a lot of times on stage and don't necessarily write pen to paper as much as some other comics might, that it will come off in a way that I don't necessarily want it to come off in the end product. But, but for in the moment, I'm fine with it because I know that I'm working it out and I know that's a part of my particular process. So when I ask people not to record, it's a lot of times for reasons like those three that I just mentioned. So I don't really understand because when I asked the girl to stop recording, then she goes with like, you know, 
oh, I'm sorry, I just thought you were funny. And then I was like, oh, yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I really appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. And this was the way I was talking because if you've ever seen me deal with an audience, you know that I will put up with a lot because I do fully respect that whether you paid to get into the show or not, whether you're an employee of the bar or not, I respect that you're taking time out to watch what it is I do. You are pretty much making my dream happen. So I have a lot of respect for that, and I'm going to be patient with you, even if you're too drunk. That's one of the reasons me and club security usually get along really well, or bar security, or bouncers, or wherever I'm performing, because I'm really good at being patient with my audience and not blowing up. Have I ever blown up? Blown up? Yes, I've definitely blown up. Will I ever blow up again? I'm sure of it. But in this particular instance, it wasn't at all a blow up and I was I let her know that, you know, I was appreciative and you, you know, I understand that you think it's funny and you want to share it with your friends and um but just, you know, I and right then it wasn't really even about the material. Like I said, it was really in that moment, in that specific moment, it was about the fact that I was already dealing with the ladies over here. And then I've got this person that I've already let record me four different times, four different times I see them raise their phone to record me. And they're kind of hiding it. So when you're hiding it, I know you know you're doing something that I probably wouldn't be comfortable with or you know that there's a chance the performer won't be comfortable with, but you're doing it anyway. So that plays into my thinking too, but I'm not trying to at all lash out at this person, at this woman about this. I'm just trying to get the point across that, you know, right now, that's just another distraction that I don't need. I don't. And so I say that and then... um her friend jumps in out of nowhere, this other girl that was laughing at my stuff, but she jumps in and she's like, she's actually got a lot of followers. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I'm fine with that. I, I'm sure you do have a lot of followers, but right now I just prefer not be recorded. And then she was like, she'll make you snap famous. And I, then me and the rest of the audience got a chuckle out of snap famous. And I was like, all right, yeah, well, uh, I'm cool. Um, I'm cool not being snap famous right now. And then she was like, she'll make you boss hogs famous. And that is the way she said it. She was like, she'll make you boss hogs famous. And I was like, yeah, I don't necessarily want to be boss hogs famous. And that was me having fun with that, with that boss hogs famous, which a lot of audience members got a real chuckle out of that because, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, I'm going to be famous at this particular bar. And what good does that do me anyway, if you were to think about it? I'm not going to be here next week. I'm not going to be here next month. I might be here next year. I don't know if I'll be at that venue again next year. I don't know how the rest of the bar staff felt about everything. Not that there were a lot of bar staff. It was like um, the cocktail server, the bartender, and then it was the girl that was recording me, which at this point, the girl that was recording me had pretty much bowed out. So this is now me and the girl, a girl that wasn't even part of the situation, you know, wasn't recording. She's just friends with the girl. And I was just like, you know, I'm cool not to be Boss Hogs famous. And then she looks at her friend and she's like, if he doesn't want to be Boss Hogs famous, what's he doing here? Which makes no sense at all. And so I was just like, 
I don't know why we're having this much conversation about this. I politely asked you to stop recording me, and now this has turned into a whole conversation. I mean, honestly, what is this? Is this because, and I was like, I know there wasn't, I didn't say is this because, I said, I know that, how was it I phrased it? I was like, I know that white women never like being told no. That's what I said. And then I was like, especially by a brown guy, you've got a brown guy on stage telling you not to do something that you want to do and is bothering you. You can't deal with it. And I thought at that point she would just like smile and because the rest of the audience was definitely getting it and getting a chuckle. And they were for the most part white. You know, there were like two black people in the room. The rest of the room was white. This is kind of a rednecky spot or a rednecky looking spot in the Portland area. I don't remember exactly what area this is that it was called that Boss Hogs is in. But, you know, so they just started laughing and then she's upset about it. And so she's like, fine, fine, go ahead, do your show, do what you're going to do, do your show. And then I was like, I was like, okay. And so I start going into another bit. And at this point, that girl, keep in mind, this wasn't the one that was recording in the first place holds up her camera, her phone, with the flash on, like to record me with flash just to get on my nerves. And I'm just trying to go into my bit because the audience has already put up with this break in momentum and they've been very patient. And to the credit of the rest of the audience, everybody was being really cool, really supportive of me. And it was like, just go on with the show. And so a few people had kind of shouted at her to like, just let it go or whatever. And so she does that and she's like flashing it right at me while I'm on stage. And I was just like, Ugh. and I let out a sigh. And then another woman that was associated with the booker just looks at her and she was like, can you just leave now? Like, you obviously don't want to be here. You obviously have a problem with this. Just leave. You're recording him again. And then I was like, yeah, what are you doing? So then the girl that's on my side gets up and literally grabs her phone out of her hand. <laughs> and then the girl is like, give me my phone back. Give me my phone. And so right away, the lady that's on my side hands her phone back and says, please get out of here. And then other people start yelling like, yeah, get out of here. Just leave. Just go away. We're trying to watch the show. And this is what's happening. So overwhelming support from the rest of who's in the room because I had, it was kind of a tough situation in the way that it was set up last night, but I was, I had them from the beginning. We were having a good time. Even those girls were having a good time up until the recording situation. And like I said, I had let it happen four different times before I was like, okay, we're done with that part. Like I want to concentrate on my actual show. I don't want to worry about what it is you're about to post. And I just had to deal with these women in the corner that were loud or like not even deal with them. I had to ignore them. I had to shut them out because I've done so many redneck rooms at this point that I'm used to having to shut out a lot of stuff. And here I have a lot of people that are actually watching me, paying attention to me. And it's not that kind of situation. I just have this table that I've got to ignore and I've got to shut that out so that I can give the rest of the people what it is they actually came for, what it is they're actually staying for. And then I've got an employee who basically started the situation. And in my opinion, really, when you're an employee of the bar, you should be in full support of what the entertainer is doing, whatever your, cause your club is paying for this. That's who's paying me. 
Boss Hogs was who was actually paying me to be there last night. So you should do whatever it takes to make sure that I'm able to do what it is I have to do to the best of my ability. So I really do feel like her friend should have been like, yeah, shut up, please. Now you're making me look bad. Like, so what if we don't understand why he doesn't want to be recorded? And I did go into it a little bit with them and tell them why it was I didn't want to be recorded. And they still didn't get it. It's like, why do we have to have this much conversation? Could you imagine if I went to your job, whatever you do for a living, could you imagine if I went to your job and just started recording snaps of you? Wouldn't you be like, hey, creep, why don't you leave me alone? And I do respect the fact that what I do is different. What I do does require having a spotlight on me and making sure that the entire room has my attention. But that doesn't mean that I want to be recorded. And the fact that, A, your employee, and I don't think that this show, they, well, not, I don't think, I know that nobody paid to get in this show. This is just a show that they do at the bar and they make their money back off the drink sales. So, I know you didn't pay shit to be in this show, so why do you think you have a right to record me? Why do you think you have a right to own any part of what it is I do? If you like what it is I do, I sell a CD after the show, buy that. Do that if you really like what I do. And if I and if I politely ask you just to stop recording me, we shouldn't have to have a conversation about it. You just stop recording me. I don't know when people lost respect for other people's privacy. The other day, there was a guy taking pictures inside the locker room of the gym. It's like people are getting undressed in the gym, and I'm very aware of what's going on, so I'm not going to get undressed while that's happening. But yeah, I did need to get undressed. I did need to get changed. I was wearing wet cardio clothes, and I wanted to change into my dry clothes so I could actually finish out my workout because I changed clothes in between, so I'm not wetting every machine. And... Anyway, there's a guy in there snapping selfies in the picture in the in the mirror and the mirror basically catches all of us. So it's like what are you doing right now? How do you not understand that not everybody trusts your judgment? And then you do have people pull some shitty stuff, you know, like that Playboy model that got in that trouble all that trouble not too long ago when she posted the picture of that lady that had her top off. It was a lady that was undressed in the locker room. Like you're supposed to do, you change your clothes in the locker room. There's nothing wrong with what that woman was doing, but she just happened to have a body that wasn't Playboy ready. So this Playboy model takes a picture of a selfie of herself, pretends it's herself, and has that woman in the mirror with her top off and is like, if I have to look at it, then you have to look at it. And it's like, how does that fucking make sense to you? How do you not get that that's a violation? How do you not get that people have a right to be like, I don't want to be recorded right now? And that's what it is. I don't have to give you an excuse. I don't have to give you a reason. I just asked you not to record me and that's all it should be. Not to mention that yesterday I had a 14-hour, I had just come off a 14-hour fucking drive, and I had just, all I had time to do by the time I got here was get not even settled into my hotel room. I got to throw my stuff out. I got to change my clothes, take a quick, quick shower, take my dogs to go potty real quick, and then I had to be at the show. So I don't want to have to deal with that situation. I don't want to have to explain myself in that situation. But for some reason, people feel that you owe them whatever it is they want. And there's a lot of places that comics kind of find themselves 
in a weird situation because here's another thing that I'll tell you guys about. A lot of times when you get to a venue or even a hotel, because they'll book the hotel for you in a lot of cases, and this is something I've had happen quite a bit. You get to the hotel, you just got off the road, maybe you just got off a plane, whatever it is, you're tired, you're not in the mood for anything, you just want to get into your headspace, get your mind right before it's time for you to head out to the show, which in a lot of cases is within a couple hours. So it's like, okay, I've got like two hours to just get my mind straight and get in the place I need to be to do what it is I need to do. And anybody will tell you, it doesn't matter if it's first day or the last day, I come in ready to go when it's time for me to get to that comedy club or that bar or whatever it is I'm performing at, I'm ready to do it. But everything before that and after that is my time. I don't want to pretend to be on. I don't want to make you laugh. When I get to the hotel room or the hotel and it's booked as me being the comedian because it's the regular place that they have all the comedians stay and you get in and right away the person that's behind the desk wants to tell you every joke that they've ever thought of in their life and they want you to entertain them too and it's like I don't want to do that. I just want to check in. I want to get my shit to the room and I want to either take a nap or take a shower or both or watch some TV or whatever it is I want to do. That's all I want to do. I don't want to make you laugh all the time. You want me to make you laugh? Pay me. You want me to make you laugh? Buy my CD. That's how you get me to make you laugh. Go to my YouTube. There. Get your laughs there. Listen to Unbothered by Tyra Varen. Not this episode because obviously I'm not making you laugh. But, you know, it is what it is. And a lot of comics deal with that because not all of us, and I know that there are the guys that come in and they're like, I'm the comedian, listen to me, I'm going to make you laugh. I just can't, my parents didn't love me when I was growing up. Yeah, my parents loved me when I was growing up. So that's where we're at. My parents love me. I don't do this to fill any kind of void. I do this because I genuinely do enjoy making people laugh. I genuinely do enjoy giving people my point of view and having them get kick a kick out of the frustrations that I deal with. And a lot of, in a lot of cases, we're all dealing with a lot of the same frustrations when it comes to politics, social events, LGBT, anything you can imagine or anything that we think about during the day, traffic even, airplanes. I mean, I know it's hack, but that's the other thing I'm going to tell you guys. A lot of people will try to argue with me like other comedians. And their thing... Their, their trump card, no pun intended, uh, is always to call me a road hack. This is like something comics will do. Half true, yes. I'm on the road a lot. I just mentioned all the places I've been in the last month. I'm on the road a lot. Sometimes I'm on the road more than I want to be. So road, yes, 100%. But hack, a hack is somebody who's basically doing shit we've all heard before, who's basically doing a bunch of recycled material, recycled premises. That's what a hack does. And I've met a lot of really funny road hacks. I'm going to give it to them 100%. And sometimes a good road hack can really entertain you. So I'm not talking shit about road hacks. I just am not a road hack. Because the thing is, I do a lot of original premises that nobody's talking about. And 
that's another thing that happened to me the other day. So, yeah, you can call me a road comic if you want to, and I have no problem with that at all. Technically, I wear that as a badge of honor, and I don't know where anybody got the idea, especially another comic, that working was a bad thing. Oh, you're right. I'm dumb for working instead of just being in L.A. all the time not making money. You're right. I'm the dumb one here. You haven't figured out how to get on the road, but I'm the dumb one. And that's the other thing that people can't come after me for either. Because when I'm in LA, I'm out as much as I possibly can be, which that I slow down on a bit as far as the number of sets per night that I'll do. Because sometimes I feel like it's more important for me to either post an unbothered or edit a clip. Or I recently started uploading unbothered to YouTube. So if you guys get a chance to check that out, want to hear some of the old episodes. So far, I've only gotten like one through four up or one through five. But um, if you check it out, it's a playlist on my YouTube, Unbothered by Tyra Vera. And on my YouTube, it's, uh, if you want to go to my YouTube, it's youtube.com slash Tyra Very simple for you. But yeah, so uh, sometimes it's better for me to divide my time up doing that instead of just doing a bunch of open mics. But anybody will tell you, I show up at some shitty open mics and some great open mics, and I'll do pretty much anything when I'm in L.A. just to stay out and stay doing new material. But people will act like that's a bad thing, too. And it's like, why am I supposed to please you anyway? And shouldn't you be worried more about your own career instead of mine? The other thing people will try to do in some cases is they'll be like, you know, you've been doing this for 14 years and you're still only on the road. Well, honestly, how long did Bill Burr do it before he broke? And that's one of the biggest comics in the world, Louis C.K. How long was Louis C.K.? working, just a working comic, working the road, doing what he had to do. This is where you get good is on the road. And I've got to tell you, every time I go on the road, especially now, because when you first start going on the road, you're just kind of trying to get your bearings and you're trying to figure it out. For a long time, I was a Joe Coy and that's a whole different situation because I was doing 20 minute sets in a lot of cases, sometimes 10, depending on who we had. But we would do these, these, shows and it was his audience and it was completely packed and they were there to see him and they were super pumped and it was great same with when I was with Gabriel Iglesias for and I wasn't with Gabriel for a long time with Joe I was with him for a year and a half Gabriel I did some shows with him and probably it's stretched over like a maybe a three six month period at the most and it was sporadic but I was appreciative for it, but same kind of deal. You know, it was all Gabriel's audiences and they come in pumped and they're ready. And it's not necessarily the most accurate read of what it is you personally are doing. I mean, yeah, it's you rocking the audience. It's you having a great time with the audience. But there's a lot of extra added to it that's because they're so jazzed about seeing the person that they're actually there to see, which is either Gabriel Iglesias or Joe Coy, respectively, whichever one I was on the show with, you know? And so... Yeah, I mean, that was great for getting experience and getting it be in front of those huge audiences and packed rooms, and I'm appreciative for all of it, but it wasn't me being on the road. It wasn't my own thing. So then for a while there, I because, you know, I was still doing my own stuff in between, but not able to do as much because my weekends were kind of taken up, and then there was the point where I started going on the road more all by myself. 
in a lot of cases, I would headline. And sometimes I get to pick the person that goes with me. Sometimes I don't. So I'll get matched up with just a random feature or whatever. I haven't had any real nightmare experiences with that or anything like that. Yeah, there's people I've liked better than others. But for the most part, when you get out on the road, one thing you notice is whatever level people are at on the road, whether they're opening, featuring, or headlining, they're really serious about just like, I want to do the work and I want to figure this out. And that's all I want to do. I'm not here for extra drama or any of that. That's not what people usually do on the road. So when comics are really big into drama, like always getting into it with people, because I people think I get into it with people. More than that, people get into it with me, and I'm just not afraid to engage. I will just go after them sometimes, especially when going after them is as easy as just me letting them know how little they've done and how nobody's thinking about them. Uh, so it's usually people that come after me. When people are always going after people, it lets me know that they don't leave their scene very much and they don't know what it's like to be an actual comic, which is something people will try to jump on me for too. They'll be like, well, what's an actual comic? One that's fucking working, all right? One that's fucking working. When I say actual comic, I mean one that's actually trying to do their shit. And yeah, sometimes when you're working, you're not getting paid. So to me, a comic that's on the open mic, being serious about their shit, working on new material all the time, is still an actual comic. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting paid or you're making all your money off of comedy or any of that shit. That's not what it is. It's like, are you actually working? Are you trying to stay out of the drama rather than jump into it? Are you actually trying to get somewhere with what you're doing or do you just need a social scene? Because there's a lot of people that go out to the open mics and they think because they go to a lot of open mics, that means they're an actual comic. It's like, no, I see what you do at the open mics and you eat shit during your set. You never work on new material. You just keep working the same stuff, hoping that one day the audience will like it. And your main focus is drinking PBRs with people or hanging out and letting everybody know how fun it is you can be. And that's not really what comedy is about. Funny, not fun, you know, and it because it, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work to continuously be writing stuff and working it out and trying to figure out ideas that not everybody's necessarily going to be into on the first try, so you have to tweak them a little bit. So my point is, like, a lot of times when people are big into that drama, it's usually because they're just scene comics. They hang out on their scene all the time, and that's what they do. But those people will try to tell you that because you haven't made it to a certain amount of success by on their timeline that that means that things aren't going well. And it's like, as long as I continue to work, as long as I continue to be able to pay bills, as long as I be continue to be able to take care of the things that I need to take care of and build my reputation in these rooms, I am very happy with what it is I'm doing. I'm yeah. Sometimes the money could be better. And that's something I've always been honest about. Like, sometimes you do feel like, yeah, I wish this paid a little more. I wish I, you know, had a little bigger audience on this particular night. But that's all stuff for me to work out on the marketing side. And I'm confident that I'll figure it out. That's why I'm working on everything the way that I am. That's why I do feel like it's more important for me right now to take a little bit of time from doing as many open mics and kind of spend that time instead maybe trying to promote myself or figuring out different ways to monetize different things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. But people will try to do that. Then the other thing people have been doing with me lately, 
is people will hit me up and tell me that other comics are doing my material or a version of my material. And, you know, I'd like to pretend that's a really big deal to me, but it's really not. I mean, I write so much stuff, and my point of view is so specific to me that nobody will ever be able to steal me. So... I mean, like, even my voice doesn't sound like it. Like, my actual voice, what you're hearing right now, doesn't sound like a lot of people. It's not like there's a lot of people that sound like me. So, all the way around, I'm unique enough that I don't think I have to worry about that shit. Like, when everybody else was worried about Fat Jew, or the Fat Jew, I should say, which is his name or what he goes by. So, anybody that wants to act stupid and be like, you're anti-Semitic. No, that's what he actually goes by. So, fuck off. Anyway... Um, when people were so worried about him because he was making, making these memes out of people's jokes and stuff like that, I felt like, yeah, if you want to call that out, call that out in a way where after that you run with it, you know, like, okay, yes, you got your joke stolen. Now use that as an opportunity and a platform to show everybody what it is you do. But every single person that called fat Jew out for doing one of their bits ended up fizzling and doing nothing but being a victim. They didn't capitalize it, capitalize on it to a point where it actually got them anywhere. So maybe you were just good for that one joke or that one meme, which a lot of comics got mad at me about that too. But have your fucking feelings as far as that goes. Because what I'm saying is 100% true. If you can't spin that into being a positive for you, then don't give me the victim shit either. Like either make it work for you or don't. But it's just not something that I personally am not worried about. Like, yeah, if you're doing my actual bit verbatim or something close enough, I mean, like, I'll talk to you person to person about it and I'll let you know that I don't respect that and I don't appreciate it. But that's not something I'm going to make this huge drama over. That's not something I'm going to turn into this this big thing unless, I don't know, I guess there are specific cases where I would blow it up, but that would be because it would somehow be to my benefit to do that. It wouldn't be just because, oh, I want everybody to see what a victim I am. They stole my joke. Get a fucking life already. Jesus. These people act like they're good for only one joke or whatever. And nobody's going to have the personal connection with my material that I do. They're just not. I mean, like, I do edgier LGBT jokes than anybody else. That comes from me being LGBT, being out when I was 17, and being at least a man of 25 by now. So, and here's another thing people have done with me, and I've fallen for it before. I'm going to admit that I've fallen for this before, and I've done it. And it's something that I'm not doing anymore. I'm just not letting it happen. Is I've noticed that sometimes people will alert me to somebody, something somebody else has said so that I'll go after that person. And really it's because the person that alerted me to it doesn't like that person. So it's kind of like them sicking them on me. So instead of them handling their own shit, they sick me on them and, well... If you know me on social media, you know that's something I'm good at handling. And I've really handled a few people on somebody else's shit. And I was too stupid to realize at the time. And I admit it. I said it. I was too stupid to realize at the time that I was being played. 
that I was being used as somebody else's attack dog. Somebody that in a lot of cases, I really don't care about either way. I mean, like, yeah, we might be friendly or whatever, but I'm not really feeling them like that. But I took it on as my thing, not because of them, but because I was against what that person was saying. And the other person just knew that that would trigger me. Yes, I put air quotes in that. (laughs) that that would trigger me into a certain response and I fell for it. I took the bait, but that's not something I'm doing anymore. I really, you're going to see if you know me, if you love me, and usually if you know me, you do love me. But if you know me and you love me, you're going to see that I'm going to be doing a lot of different stuff coming up and a lot of just staying out of all that extra shit. Like right now I'm, there's so much positivity on the scene. There are so many good people on the scene right now. If you were to spend a night hanging out with me, you would see that pretty much everybody that's actively on the scene, I'm at least cool to neutral with. And when I say cool, I mean very cool, like hugs, like I enjoy seeing them. There's so many young, new, exciting comics that are breathing new life into the comedy scene, especially in LA. You know, like I'll mention some names on that, you know, like you have Jill Chrissy out there doing her thing, which her Facebook posts make me laugh. And then in real life, she's able to make me laugh. There's Katrina Davis. There's uh, Chaz. uh, Sanchez is his real name or his full name. But he's a great guy. He's gay, um, funny. He's actually working on shit, doesn't mind taking it to the edge. He's great. Then, like, on the positive side, more... um, I love Courtney Banks. Like a lot of people are kind of sleeping on Courtney Banks, in my opinion. And I know that for a minute there, she was out more on the social end, it seemed, than actually working on her shit. But I'm going to tell you guys, Courtney Banks is really getting her shit in gear and she's going to end up being a force. I really do feel that way about Courtney Banks. And if that doesn't happen, that's going to surprise the shit out of me. And then uh, who else is really great to watch right now? Jeremy Scipio. If you guys are familiar with Jeremy Scipio, he's been great to watch. Um, Jack Knight is also great to watch. Then there's like, you know, I'm trying to name newer people rather than, or people, I don't want to say newer like they're new because some of these people have been around for a couple of years, but they're just a part of like, in my, what in my opinion is like a new breed of comic that's coming up that's actually doing different shit and not afraid to talk about stuff that other people are trying to tell them that they're not, they're not supposed to talk about, which I could go into that too, but I've already been through that with you guys. I've already told you guys about the comics that are trying to like be social justice warriors. And I put comics in quotes when it comes to those people. It's like, those people don't matter though. You know, I mean, like when we're talking about people that are breathing new life into the comedy scene, Kenny Lyon, who I've had on Unbothered and everybody knows I'm friends with Kenny. And Kenny is working some shit out and trying to, you know, figure some stuff out on the personal side. But when it comes to Kenny on stage, do not fucking sleep on Kenny Lyon. Because Kenny Lyon will do fucking ridiculous shit that is off the wall, but at the same time just makes you laugh. Makes an entire room full of comics laugh. He'll destroy it in a room full of comics, which everybody knows isn't necessarily the easiest to do. Then there's uh, Aston Wallace, who's really great. Ashley Johnson, who's really great. The guys at Boys Club, Daniel and uh, Everett, are doing a lot to not only... 
because people think just boys club is like just a fun mic or whatever. That mic is fun because Daniel and Everett allow everybody to do what it is they actually do. They allow people, they don't put rules on anything. They don't fucking trip on shit. I mean, like, yeah, everything may not be funny to all of us, but at the same time, it's there and it's, they allow it to fucking happen. They allow that to flow. Then, um, Damar Randy, who I've talked about several times on the show, like Damar Randy is going to be, he's already a fucking beast is the thing. But like Damar Randy, when he gets put on, and if I make it before Damar Randy does, I'm definitely putting Damar Randy on because that's one person to me that is just so fucking real and so fucking raw and so funny that it's... It's going to get to the point where industry isn't going to be able to ignore DeMar Randy, and I really do feel that way. Um, who else is really doing shit? You know, some people get mad at Jasmine Lee. I really like Jasmine Lee a lot. I've had her on the show, and like I said, I said it when I was doing my Black History Month thing, and I mentioned Jasmine Lee. I, um, you know, chose her as my influence for that day or the person that inspired me for that day, and it's because I like that Jasmine Lee isn't afraid to actually go after what she wants. Like, it's like the saying, closed mouth don't, don't get fed. Like, you know, like, if nobody knows that you're trying to do anything, then... How are you going to get, how are you going to get anything? Like if you don't actually let people know, yeah, I want to do this or yeah, I want to be in this. I mean, like there is a difference between doing that and being obnoxious about it. But when I notice anybody talk any kind of shit about Jasmine Lee, it's usually, or I should say it's only been somebody else watching her and they've been like, uh, you know. I don't like that she does this, but it hasn't ever been the person that she's actually been talking to or the person that she's actually been, I guess you could say schmoozing with and no disrespect by using the term schmoozing, but I think Jasmine knows she's a schmoozer at the same time. There's nothing wrong with being honest about that. Like, you know, and so that's what it is. And I also want to say this because a lot of people talk shit to me about a lot of people. And when I mention stuff like this, if you happen to be one of the people that said something about somebody that I'm saying right now, when I listened to you, I wasn't being two-faced and I wasn't looking to judge you. And I'm not judging you now. I'm just saying that, yeah, I hear what it is you're saying. But at the same time, I don't mind certain people being the way they are because I see how that works for them. And we all don't necessarily have to take the same path. And I'm not saying that if if you don't do things exactly like another person that you're not going to get what you want, your road could be different and your road can work out for you the way that you want it to. That's why I'm all right with what I do. That's why I see people and I'm like, you know, yeah, they're doing that, but I'm doing this. And yeah, they got this when they were two years in and maybe I didn't get that until I was four years in. But Maybe they just came in more developed in a different way. Like, I've been very open about the fact that when I first started doing stand-up, I had terrible stage fright. So, yeah, I was a good writer. And Jamie Masada himself, after seeing me, I was only four months in when Jamie Masada told, saw me. And Jamie Masada himself told me to move to L.A. If you guys don't know who Jamie Masada is, he's the owner of the Laugh Factory. And um, you can catch him on TV every time somebody, some celebrity dies. But... Um, Jamie loves a fucking camera, and everybody knows that. And if anybody tries to act like I'm talking shit from that, let Jamie hear this, and I bet you he'll get a chuckle out of it because me and Jamie have a relationship that I don't think a lot of people even know exists. 
but uh, yeah, Jamie's been very helpful to me in my career. When I first came to LA, I, I stopped in to the Laugh Factory. You know, I did like the open mic, and um, I was only a couple months in. I had terrible stage fright, but I had really wrote my stuff and really practiced my three minutes, and I did my three minutes for him. And Jamie Masada himself told me to move to LA. Like he asked me if I was moving to LA, and I was like. I was like, yeah, I plan to. And then he was like, when do you plan to move here? And I was like, within the next couple of months. And he was like, move here as soon as possible. Stage time, stage time, stage time. And Jamie Masada molded me in the beginning of my career. He really was helpful. And he would give me advice all the time. Every time I would go into the Laugh Factory to showcase for him, he showcased me for two years. And I fucking hated him for it because every time I would go back, he'd be like, this is what I want to see you work on. And I would work on what he said. And then I I'd go back and showcase for him having done exactly what he said. And he'd be like, okay, now this is what I want to see you work on. And I'd be like, God damn it. Can you just fucking pass me and make me a regular already? And he, and of course I'd talk to him more respect, respectfully at that, but as than that, but I would definitely speak to him about like, I'd be like, come on, Jamie, just make me a regular already. And he'd be like, buddy, you're not ready, buddy. You're not ready. This is what I want to see from you next time. One time, uh, right before he passed me as a regular, what he did to me was he, um, asked me to do a 20 minute set. And I knew that if you went over at the laugh factory that, you know, and you were showcasing or not an, a regular that you'd get in trouble, that it was not allowed, you know? And so what happened was he told me to do a 20-minute set. So I timed it out, uh, you know, so that I would do exactly 20 minutes. And that's another thing that I got really good at from another guy. Um, Steve Kimbrough was his name, and he ran a show in Long Beach, a couple of shows. Well, it was one venue that he would do several shows out a week. And he was such a fucking stickler for the time, you know? Like, if you went over your time, even by a couple seconds, he would cut the mic on you. And I got so good at sticking, being on exactly to my time. Like, the guys would always stop me, the guys that ran the light, and they'd always be like, you're fucking amazing. Because if I had to do five minutes, I would do four minutes and 59 seconds. I was always right at the, whatever it was, in 59. Seven minutes, I had I did 60, six minutes and 59 seconds. Like, I was just really good at that. And that's something that I'm very thankful for, to him for developing in me. That was Steve Kimbrough that did that. And, uh, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, I hate him now, and I wouldn't care if you played this part for him either. I fucking hate Steve Kimbrough. He got on my fucking nerves. He disrespected me. He was a piece of shit. He ran that room into the fucking ground. But for that part, I'll always be thankful for the part that he taught me to really stick to my time. So here I am doing this showcase for Jamie, and he said, he was like, you know, I knew what was about to happen. I knew this was my shot. And he was like, buddy, I want to see you do 20 minutes, buddy. And I was like, I was like, okay, yeah. He was like, he was like, next time you come, you showcase, you do 20 minutes. And I was like, okay. So I did my exact 20 minutes. And when I did my exact 20 minutes, which I knew was 20 minutes because I also had my stopwatch, I went ahead and, you know, looked around for the host and was like, thank you, have a good night. And so I get off stage and it was a great set. It wasn't like it was bad at all or even just okay. It was a great set. And I go up to meet with Jamie afterwards and I just knew I was a regular now. You know, I had done my 20 minutes exactly. I had had a great set. It was time for me to be a regular. King me!
Oh, sorry, you guys. But that is the way I felt. <laughs> and then Jamie was like, buddy, you finished your set. And then you look around, but there was no light. And I was like, yeah, I didn't know why I hadn't got lit, but I knew that I was supposed to do 20 minutes. So I did 20 minutes and then got off stage. And then he was like, well, now I don't know if you have 20 minutes. I was like, Jamie, come on. And then he was like, he was like, no, I need you to see, need to see you do an actual set. And so, ugh. so then I had to come back. Like, I think it was two months later that time, uh, just because of the way at that time I was starting to go on the road with Jen Cobra was who I first started going on the road with. So I was starting to go on the road and I wasn't able to make it back there for like two months, which is usually at that time it was standard, like one month that you'd have to wait. And um, then the, that's the time that, I officially became a regular after more than two years, probably just over two years and a month or two years and a couple months uh, <laughs> that Jamie finally made me a regular. And the best part was it was off the dirtiest, most, I don't know why the fuck I'm saying this shit. I just want to keep this audience in the room situation set that I ever did during my showcasing for Jamie. But, uh, you know, guys... I think I said enough. I think I've uh, really let you guys see into my thinking. And um, like I said, I I know I didn't mention everybody that's that's kind of inspired me and is breathing new life into the comedy scene in different ways, you know. Some people are running rooms. Some people are just uh, doing stand-up. Some people are doing it through roast battle. Different people are doing it different ways. And I just want to say I appreciate all of you that are really doing your thing. And like I said, things are going to be different for me. I'm not trying to do any of that drama shit or, you know, and if you see somebody doing something similar to what it is I do, I don't have a problem with that. The more of us talking sense out there, the better. The more of us actually opening up the the minds of audience members or even other comics for that matter, the better. I am in support of people pushing the fucking boundaries. I mean, like, as long as you're not stealing from me, we're not going to have a fucking problem. And so I don't, and you know, also if God wants me to see these people stealing from me, then if that's what they're doing, then I'll see that on my own. Outside of that, I don't need anybody running back and telling me what it is people are doing. I don't give a fuck what these people are doing. Half of them ain't going nowhere anyway. And I know that might come off as shady. And if you're feeling any kind of way of that about that, it's because you ain't going nowhere. That's the only reason anybody would care that I just said that, is if it fits. And you know what they say, if the shoe fits, buy it in every color, bitch. Anyway, guys. Like I said, I'm starting to fuck around with my YouTube more. I'm going to start video blogging more. I got I have a video blog that I'm editing right now that's uh, me talking about World Series of Comedy because people have been talking to me about that. Then I'm also going to mention some of my favorite open mics because people have been asking me about open mics and I'm going to um, mention what my thinking is on the open mics. And I'm going to be doing that through video blog. So if you have a chance, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Search Ty Rivera and you will find me. Um, you know what my pictures look like or what it is I do. So you'll know it's me when you get there. Plus I'm going to be posting more stuff on my Facebook from my YouTube. So 
be on the lookout for all that stuff, you guys. We're going to figure this shit out, shit out between me and the rest of the L.A. scene. You know what? I have put too much time into this scene to give up on anything. So everybody keep doing what you do. And remember, um, if you have any feelings about anything I said, mm, got to say, pretty unbothered right now, guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. I love all of you. Thank you. Oh, yeah, America's favorite fag.com. Bam. <laughs>